Welcome to The Resilient Responder, the podcast where we explore stories of strength, courage, and unwavering resilience in the face of life's challenges told by first responders. Join us on a journey of inspiration and empowerment as we dive in with Dylan, Josh, and Patrick. Hi, everybody. What are you doing? I'm, I'm messed up <laughs> right out of the gate. Right out of the gate screwed it up. That's awesome. Love it. Welcome to the Resilient Responder. Bluetooth disconnected. And the Bluetooth is now disconnected. disconnected. Uh, Josh is uh, Josh is doing his own commentary evidently today, uh, so we'll just kind of let that roll. Uh, Patrick, Josh, and Dylan back with you on a uh, Thanksgiving Eve episode. Uh, we're going to, uh, the reason that we decided to do this is we're going to kind of switch it up. Uh, we had to switch weekends that we were doing it uh, due to some scheduling on uh, mainly my half, uh, but a little bit of Dylan's. Josh is, um, he's always available whenever he needs us. He need, or, yeah, whenever when he you need, need when, when you need me. Is that what it is? Yeah. I need I'll you all the that. time. I know, right? I'm thankful for you. <laughs> I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for you too. I am, yes. Yeah, happy free Thanksgiving. Hope everybody's thawing their turkey and don't burn your house. I wonder how many people just jumped up and was like, oh, <laughs> oh crap. Yeah, crap. Like, what is it, like 10 hours yeah. on a, how many pound bird is a 10 hour with, the, with ten a cold hours. water bath? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, go uh, go fill up your bathtubs if you haven't yet. And uh, <laughs> so, be careful. Yeah, make sure it's not frozen. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, Lots of fire departments will be busy tomorrow with deep fried turkey incident. Great. We hope that that's not the case. We hope that uh, everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving and and truly remember the reason for tomorrow. Uh, take a moment uh, tonight before you go to bed tomorrow when if you're gathered with your family, friends, friendsgiving, Thanksgiving with your family, whatever it may be, take a moment and uh, and let that soak in and embrace that time that you have with your. If, whether it be your parents, your uh, kids, your wife, uh, whatever significant other, anything, just take that time and, and enjoy that time that you're going to have. And for those of you that are working, you know, spend that time with your work family, but don't forget about your family at home as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I've know I've worked many Thanksgivings, yeah. many Christmases. We've had some. Uh, um, I can actually remember deep frying a turkey at, at, at HealthNet one year. It was it really was great. Yep, yep. Our pilot was. Uh, was from Germany and, and had never had that before. So, and of course, uh, we included security in case we had to go somewhere. So security <laughs> was willing to wash the turkey for us. It was a, it was a good deal. <clears throat> so take the, take that time tomorrow. If you are working, thank you. Uh, it is not an easy thing to be away from your family um, so that uh, you can provide the services that are provided. First responders, um, uh, any profession, all, all the frontline workers that are going to be out uh, working tomorrow, thank you truly uh, for, for doing that and keeping us safe. Uh, I, will be, uh, I know that I'll be spending time with my family tomorrow. Um, uh, you'll be with your family. And Same. Macy's you'll be, Thanksgiving yeah. parade. Can't oh, miss yes. it. Yeah. What yeah. time does that kick off? Uh, 8.30, I believe. I think that's our goal for next year. We should try to be in the Macy's Oh, yeah, that's all. what we need. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right now, I wouldn't be caught at all in New York City, and really just because, <laughs> honestly, I, and and you know, uh, we have friends that, that work in that area, but you know, there was that car bombing today at the um, at the Canada border. Uh, they're outside of Buffalo, is that right? I think or, yeah, yeah. Going because over the airport's there. still shut down. So you know, you start to wonder, you know, is um, Macy's Thanksgiving parade a target? You know, so. For our first responder friends, head on a swivel tomorrow. 
know, be good for because yeah. of with all the happenings in the Middle East and, and everything that we, you know, we know that there are problems here on the home front, but extra vigilant tomorrow head on a swivel because, you know, if, if the radicals can disrupt, um, large scale events, you they know, will. that, that they, they will, yeah, absolutely. You know? so, um, that, that's a big one for me tonight to be thinking about our first responders that are on shift tonight and tomorrow and, and during some of these events, it just, it, it, it literally scares the hell out of me to think that, you know, some of our folks could be in danger because of that. You know, we had a, a line of duty death within the past week. That was in yeah, that's Baltimore. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, Baltimore. Um, Row House Fire. Um, those are getting absolutely terrible. Um, I actually believe that Baltimore is changing their SOGs on that. That um, How was it? The, they, they can't do any interior until a full 360 is completed and the structure is deemed safe to enter, even if there is reported entrapment. And you start thinking about row houses and the amount of time it may take to do a 360 can be the difference in life and death. So, Absolutely. you know, our, our, our friends out in the Baltimore area, you know, I'll be in, feel for you. I'll be in Baltimore next week. And I want to say, man, it was almost a year ago we had Three three Baltimore County or three Baltimore City firefighters got killed. That was about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, I, I was out there, and and we got to see the uh, procession. Wow, yeah. wow. Well, once just again, that was just row house fires. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Were, some row houses that were boarded up. Mm-hmm. Um, today was it ca- uh, a shooting at the Capitol? Capitol? Uh, it, it wasn't. It was at the nation's capital, but it was a park police. Uh, I didn't get to read fully uh, what happened. I know that he was airlifted and uh, shot three times. Yeah. Um, so it's a different world, man. I, I don't know the it circumstances is. behind that, but obviously tensions are rising, yeah. and it um, seems to be rising towards our, our first responders, especially our law enforcement officers. So by all means, stay vigilant, keep your head on a swivel. Um, so hey, before, you, yeah. before you say what you were going to say, Let's do the shout out. Where, uh, who you are, where you're at, and and what you're about. And uh, nice nature. <laughs> I know it's so well, weird. Well, I mean, right here, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. Do the shout yeah, out yeah. And, and tell us uh, quick tell us who you are and uh, where you're at and uh, and who you're affiliated with if you're affiliated with anyone. Um, for those of us that have lost loved ones, family members, uh, any any loved one that you hold close to your heart tomorrow. And as we uh, get into the Christmas season, it's going to be rough. Yeah. Uh, we just, I, I just celebrated, uh, two years, two years, two years. of, uh, treasuring my mother's life. Uh, I, 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 I did that this weekend. That I was did, Sunday, right? It was, it was Sunday. Yeah. I, I did it. Uh, I did it alone the way I wanted to do it and, uh, got some, uh, I know Dylan reached out, Josh reached out, a couple of my other friends reached out. I talked to my dad some. Um, so as we get into the holiday season, especially, uh, keep those people in your thoughts uh, and your prayers. And, um, you know, if you if you believe in the higher power, I know that my mother is with me no matter where I'm at. And I also believe that your loved ones are with you. So as we continue into those holiday seasons, please keep those people in your in your thoughts and prayers. In October, November, it's always been especially <clears throat> difficult. And then you lead into the holidays. You know, for me, October, um, there was there was some family loss there. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law um, passed in October, uh, and then um, 
it's it's crazy because I reached out to my friend, our friend Anthony, on the sixteenth, oh, yeah, which was, yeah, I, I tell him that's my nine eleven because that was the day that he got stabbed, and that really changed my line of duty. Um, yeah, he got stabbed in the line of duty by a patient, and that kind of mm. changed my um, my trajectory in 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 everything EMS and fire related, and really made me look at things at a different point. And it was funny because. You know, it was supposed to be a day of celebration because, um, you know, that, that particular day was, was also my wife's birthday. So you have this tragic event on the same day. It's supposed to be a happy event. So there was, there was a lot of mixed emotion. And then a few days later, your mom, which we were in the middle of the critical incident debriefing for, for Anthony when we found out about Patrick's mom. So, you know, it was immediately drop everything and go from this tragedy to this tragedy. And that really kind of set us on this trajectory of where we sit today. You know, had all those events not happened the way that they did, then uh, we might not have have started this thing that that, that we we're that we're doing tonight. Yeah. Congratulations, uh, welcome, uh, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. It's always great to see you, uh, Hannah. Thank you, Adam, and Adam Hoffman. Keep your head on a swivel for sure, but please take time to decompress and take time with uh, family and friends to be normal for a little bit. I love normal. And yeah, I love yeah, right. Yeah. Awesome, we we just talked about everybody's that. normal's different. Right? Yeah, yeah. Our normal yeah, so different. Jason's right. on. What's up, buddy? Love you. Good to see you. Uh, so we have a very special guest, uh, and we're going to bring her. She's uh, she's going to be a little bit virtual with us because uh, she's about I don't know what. 12 hours away. So, yeah. And honestly, I don't even remember where I first saw her post, Facebook. but no shit. Sherlock. <laughs> like, I know Facebook, but who shared it or, or who found it or whatever, but I immediately shared it to our page. And that got me thinking like this story is so much like what we hear on a normal basis. Right. And it's so, so powerful. Yeah, and, and the way that she wrote it was very professional, very um, intricate, very capturing. So, of course, we shared it to the, to, the, to the SCARS website or the SCARS Facebook page. And I, I, I completely took a chance and just decided to try to send a message to this person. And I, I'm sure that when you get a strange message request you're always thinking oh this is a scam or something yeah. money but actually answered me back so um we put some things in motion and found out a little bit about her story and really got interested in bringing her onto the show because this this kind of shows you and it kind of follows that motto of the resilient responder of once we get into this field and it gets in our blood and we get addicted and we start doing what we do you can't take it away right yeah and, and i think that this i think that this person is the definition of resilient yeah uh in, in my book at least yeah. um her name is taylor wilkinson she's from somerset am i saying that correctly taylor you can shake your head yes or no 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 okay well, we're, somerville we're somerville some oh man i suck at this. somerville charleston <laughs> county south carolina yeah. so Taylor, get a map. <laughs> Is that what she said? I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so Taylor has agreed to join us and we're going to bring her on 
Uh, I got to press a couple buttons here, but we're going to let Taylor uh, share her. Uh, we're going to let her introduce herself. Um, and we're also going to let her share her story with us. Hi, Taylor. Thank you for joining us. Hello, guys. So, Taylor, uh, uh, I want to introduce you to the Resilient Responder family, hosted by Scars Incorporated and sponsored by First Responder Coaching. And first, I want to say thank you so much for the um, for the the guts to be able to come on to a national platform uh, where we have viewers from all over the country joining us and share your story. Yeah, this of is, course. This is not an easy thing. And I, um, I I applaud you much as we spoke before the show. I applaud you for the ability to do this. But uh, I want you to take the center stage here for a little bit. And I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you started, where you started, where you went, and where you are now. All right. So as I told you, my name is Taylor Wilkinson. Uh, currently, I am a paramedic at the City of Goose Creek Fire Department. I started an EMS in gosh, 2012, um, started out in rural Southwest Wisconsin volunteer department. Uh, one of, I was working in a nursing home at the time and my charge nurse was a volunteer EMT and she's like, come to a ride with us, just see if you like it, whatever. And so I decided to go, why not? Uh, very first call was for a child not breathing. I was not getting in that ambulance. I'm not going, I'll see you guys next time. You know, uh, they drug me in. I went. It ended up being an issue with the trach that wasn't like a big deal. We were able to resolve it. Um, but in that moment, I knew like this is what I wanted to do. Um, you know, we walked into panicking parents, absolute chaos, um, a child that wasn't breathing when we got there and left. Child is good to go. Parents are calm. Everything's fixed. And holy shit, like we just did that. And it was so cool. Um, so I got my EMT basic. I stayed there for about three years. Um, decided that I wanted to do this career full-time. There was no full-time services around me. So instead of moving like an hour away, I packed what I could in a five by nine trailer and I moved to Seattle, Washington. Um, I started working in King County. I worked for AMR. Um, we did all of the BLS transports in King County. Um, I was specifically in Seattle. So my very first shift was a downtown, uh, downtown Seattle night shift. And when I tell you my jaw didn't leave the floor for weeks at the things I was seeing uh, coming from a dairy farm in Wisconsin to downtown Seattle at night. Um, but I was there for about four and a half, five years. I was vacationing here in South Carolina and I was like, man, I love it here. I never want to leave. And for shits and giggles, I applied to Charleston County EMS. I got hired, um, went back to Seattle. This time I just packed what I could in my forerunner and moved all the way across the country. So I've been here since May of 2020, um, moved in the midst of COVID and got here, jumped into paramedic school. It was sometime during paramedic school that the burnout became unmanageable. Um, I got to the point, I hated going to work. I dreaded every day, every clinical, 
going to class, just everything. And I just kept telling myself, I just have to get through school and it'll be easier. Things will be better. I just got to get through school. Um, got through school and <laughs> things weren't better. Uh, you know, since I was 19 and went on that very first call, my dream was to be a paramedic. I was finally a paramedic and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I didn't want to do it at all. Every call was a burden. Every patient was a burden. And I had worked with plenty of those burnt out paramedics and I did not want to be that person. Um, so I kind of got to the point I knew when my partner looked at me and said, Hey, uh, you, you're done. You need to go. Uh, I knew it was time to go. So I stepped away. I initially dropped down to part-time. Um, that was October of last year. That's when I made the Facebook post. Um, dropped down to part-time, went to work in a clinic nine to five, Monday through Friday. It was like the break I needed, but being part-time, I was still having to work with the ambulance on the weekends, still way too much. Um, so in March, I actually quit completely, um, quit EMS completely. And it was really hard when I, you know, when I made that decision to leave, because what do I do? All I've done is EMS. It's what I know, what I live, what I breathe, you know? Um, so it was really hard for me to decide. I was lucky to be able to find a paramedic clinic position um, to get me off the truck, but still be able to kind of be a paramedic, a clinic paramedic. Um, but yeah, when I got off the truck in October, I first started going to peer support group meetings. We have an incredible peer support group here. It actually started after the Charleston nine fire, the super sofa store fire. I don't know if you guys are familiar. With that. Oh, yeah. So this initially started out as the Charleston firefighter support group. You know, they kept getting people from outside of Charleston fire. They expanded. They were still just the firefighter support group. They ended up expanding. Now they have an EMS division, a telecommunicators division, and a police division. That's awesome. um, so we have monthly meetings, retired, active family members. <laughs> Anybody can come. They feed us. We like free food. Um, <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> and so uh, there's this incredible gentleman. His name is Steve Gillespie. He was actually a New York City firefighter during 9-11. He retired out of New York City came down here um, and he he like harassed me very nicely until I finally went to one of these meetings and I thank him every day <coughs> because that was how I got my resources, how I started therapy, how I met all these incredible people who have been through so much, so much. Um, a lot of the people there are retired. Most of them are firefighters, local firefighters. <coughs> Um, excuse you. Thank uh, you. Sorry. <laughs> There's really no excuse for totally. it. But, uh. but so yeah, that opened me up to all of these resources that I knew were there, but I never knew how to use them. Um, money was a concern. You know, they, they set you up with all of these grants and different things to cover your therapy. And it was just so much more than I realized because it wasn't, it wasn't made known to us. You know, we knew that the firefighter support group existed. Well, I'm not a firefighter. Why would I use a firefighter support group? 
not realizing that, oh, they do, you know, they have an EMS support group, they have a telecommunicators group, and they have, they have, it's like 36 clinicians that are associated with them um, that they can refer to. And they have smaller peer support groups at different EMS agencies and fire departments and stuff like that too. Um, so I utilized all my resources, did a lot of work, um, had a lot of not good times with myself. Um, but October 30th is when I started back on the ambulance and I love it. Never thought that I would have, I was telling you guys earlier, had you asked me a year ago, I would have told you absolutely not. I will not ever be back on an ambulance. I hate so it. I I, I kind of want to start somewhere, but I think you have something you want to say. Uh, so well, no, we're probably, we probably want to start in the same place because I want to know what led to the burnout, yeah, right? Like, yeah, as, you know, so you're in medics class, you're working full-time on the truck, I'm assuming as an EMT, trying to do clinicals. So what part was the burnout? Was, was it, was it call volume? Was it overall just absolutely just, so in depth with EMS that you couldn't do it anymore? Or was there, some, <coughs> was there some associated trauma calls? Like talk, talk us through that. Yes. All of it. Um, I think a big thing was I had, you know, I had some of my own kind of, I don't want to call them issues, but things that I never dealt with from my personal life, from my past, I get an EMS. I bury myself in EMS. Like all of us do, it becomes our lives. We're at work. We're thinking about work. We're thinking about calls. We're second guessing. Did we do the right thing on that call? Did I make the right choice constantly? Um, you know, I'm working every day. I'm either on the truck for free for, for school or I'm working overtime because I have to, to afford to eat. And uh, it just got to the point that I was so mentally exhausted from work that by the time I got home, I could not take care of myself. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't sleeping. Um, food is my coping mechanism. So that wasn't fun. Um, but yeah, I think it was a big, and on top of it, you have COVID, right? We're dealing with COVID. I'm getting in full PPE for every single call. And it's something so simple, but so exhausting day after day, after day, after call, after call. And it just got to be so much that I stopped, I stopped talking to my friends. Like I didn't care about anybody, anything when I was home, all I wanted to do was sleep, but I can't sleep because I'm so stressed. And it, it just was spiraling. And then, yeah, add, you know, the work traumas, the calls on top of all of that too. So of, of everybody around you, who first noticed that this burnout was starting to set in because a lot of times your coworkers miss it. So who was the first one to say, you know what, you're, you're done. I know you mentioned that, but, but how did that conversation go? It was my work partner. So, okay. you know, we at Charleston County, we did a central deployment. We didn't have stations. You all started out of the same station. Charleston County is a massive coastal County that's, you know, spans a huge chunk of the coast. And so we're spending 12, 14, 16 hours a day in our trucks together, um, sitting on a street corner, wherever it may be. So we we sit and talk, right? And it kind of started with us talking about 
like, man, we really want to get out of EMS, but what else would we do? You know, he was, he's, he's still there. He's still in the same boat. He's back in school. So he's on his way out, but you know, what do we do? And, you know, we kind of joke, like, I don't even know if I know how to have a conversation with somebody who's not EMS. Um, like it was just all that stuff. You know, we just started kind of having those conversations and all of a sudden we were having those conversations every shift. And then we were maybe having this conversation two or three times throughout a shift. And I think, you know, he and I were partners for almost two years. And I think he saw that change, even just like while I was in paramedic school of me going from loving my job. I can't wait to be a paramedic. This is like all I've ever wanted to do. I love working here to, I hate everything. I hate every patient, every call, everything's a burden. I don't do anything outside of work. You know, he, he just watched that change happen. Um, So so to, to pause right there, the, the fact that he was able to identify, you said, you said you guys were partners for two years Mm -hmm. and did he ever, or I'm, 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 I made an assumption. It was he, did you say he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did he ever tell you what the telltale signs were, what he saw? Not that I can recall. I think I knew too. You know, I felt myself getting frustrated with patients and calls and, you know, noticing that I'm not sleeping. I'm so stressed. I'm like not talking to my friends anymore. I'm not doing anything outside of work um, or class. Like I'm just coming home and I'm sleeping. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, I think, I mean, I think he probably noticed just like my irritability with everything too. So you, you, you talked about the peer support groups that are, that are in the area and things like that. Were you working in that area when the Charleston nine happened? No. Okay. So you came, you came down after that and Mm then, um, and then my, my follow-up question to that was, um, you became a paramedic and how long before the burnout set in and you got off the truck, how long were you a medic before you had to take that step back? Six months. Six months. So why don't you think about that? So you were an EMT for how many years? Gosh, like eight or nine. All right. So eight or nine years, almost 10 years as, a, as an EMT, let's say, go to medic class and that burnout starts to set in, right? So, Does that no, sound familiar? <clears throat> yeah, yes, but wait a second. So she she enters paramedic school when she first goes to South Carolina, correct? Yep. Okay, so what, what's the call volume? What's what's the difference between South Carolina and, and Seattle? Similar? And I, so... I Definitely like dissecting her life. But, I mean, I feel <laughs> awful by asking this. But. No, it's definitely. I was way. I think the difference here is, you know, we were central deployment deployment in Seattle too, but I covered a battalion in the city, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're covering a massive county. I'm not sure how many square miles Charleston County is. To be it's honest, huge. it's huge. Yeah. Um. So. I think a big part of it too was coming here. I might start, you know, we start in North Charleston. I might get a call in Edisto, which is 
an hour away and then I'm transporting 45 minutes this way. And then I'm going to a post 45 minutes this way. And it's all day. You're on a oh, wow. 12 to 14 yeah. hour road right. trip every single day. The, um, the, other, the other thing that I think about too, is that you've relocated. And yes. when we relocate, you lose, sometimes you lose your support, your support network. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got to build a new support network. Absolutely, you have to build that. So as soon as she gets there, she's she's hitting her dream. She's going to be a paramedic. You went to paramedic school, and and we kind of as as Patrick was pausing and muting us, we were having sidebar conversations of, you know, where were you when you come out of paramedic school? Well, I was in a, I was in a better place than obviously than what Taylor was, just because of where I worked. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely I was working at Bridgeport where. You know, you still had every third day off. I was able to go to class during work time. And I think that's where a lot of employers miss the mark. And I think that's one of the things that we have to advocate for is, you know, if you want to keep her as an employee, we're going to work with her schedule to make sure that, you know, we're providing for her while she's in in class, which means bringing her workload down, you know, assisting her with class, you know, maybe those classroom hours can be paid hours somehow. And I know that's, that she's not out generating revenue for the company because that's sure. always the first thing they're going to look at. But what, but the point we're missing is, is we've burned her out because she's doing clinical time. She's doing classroom time and she's working full time for us. Yeah. So her 40 hour week just went to a hundred hour week minimum yeah. Before we even start into having overtime and her being able to and, that, and that's kind of that's that's why that's what drew me to, to ask that question. And then here you have you have your support group. You have your family, you have your buddies, right. you have everything that is right. the norm. Yeah, and everything was foreign to her. Yeah. I yeah. That, I bet you there ain't even a there's not even a dairy farm in South Carolina. <laughs> there ain't even one. There. One. <laughs> is there? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so she was just trying to make Josh so, feel so better. So tell us about that. You know, what's it like going into because you know the three of us. Well, Patrick went from one end of the state to the other, but I mean, for the most part, we've not relocated. But I had a support network up here. You already did, right? I, I knew. So, I knew you and. Well, how was right. that for you yeah. walking into you know both agencies, walking into AMR as a fresh young face, and then walking into. Um, Charleston County as a fresh young face that nobody knew. Talk us through that. You know, back kind of before I went through all this, I was like a very outgoing person. I love to like do those new things and challenge myself in those new ways. And to me, I only saw it as like a new exciting opportunity. It obviously it's like nerve wracking packing what you can in your vehicle and moving across the country. But overall, it was more excitement that like drove me. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't feel like looking back now. Yeah, that probably did play a huge part on my burnout. But I've also kind of been somebody that I feel like takes care of myself. I don't rely on other people, which is also another issue of how I got to where I got, and I've learned that. Um, But it, yeah, to me, it was more of an exciting thing. I didn't look at it as I'm losing my support group. I'm going to this new place. I'm going to have to make new friends and have a new support group because I've always, I've always done it on my own. 
Um, again, obviously I know now that's not the way to do it and I can't do it on my own all the time. Um, but yeah, I think a big part of it too is again, I started in May of 2020, the midst of COVID. Right. So, COVID. So, like right there, so right there, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you bring up yeah. a very good point right there. And one of our first three episodes, we talked about COVID and the, 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 the drain it was on the mental health for first responders. So when you moved to Charleston County and you were going to paramedic class, this was all in the year 2020. Is that correct? Uh, I started medic school uh, January of 22. So in, in just post COVID. Yeah, so just but but you but we still had some of the restrictions, uh, I'm sure. Yes. Like yeah. That. I mean um, it was still, you know, we're still getting those waves. Right. Were you doing in person class or were they doing a lot of remote learning at that point for your medic schooling? Uh it was just one day a week of classroom. Everything else okay. was remote. Gotcha. Okay. So when you're when you moved to Charleston in the height of COVID in 2020 mm -hmm. may of 2020 and and you and you so so you move basically from well no not basically you do you move from one end of the country to the oh, other yeah, coast to coast um i mean uh, luckily you came to the good coast if you'd have bought that coast. map <laughs> but you know that. <laughs> but you take the you take the already stress of covid on top of a brand new job did you know anybody down there um my mom actually lives down here. Okay. So you well, have, so, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. so you have a, well, she have held a close, that in her back pocket, didn't right? She? Yeah. Yeah. You in the back pocket. You do have somebody that's important to you down there, but then you take, but, but you're still taking a brand new job in the height of the worst pandemic that's ever been, in, in, at least in any of our times, that's ever happened. And you, you're taking all that. How did you, how did you push through that and able, and, and still in 22 say, okay, I'm ready to go be a paramedic? Because at that point, I don't think it was, I don't know if I wasn't recognizing that it was affecting me as much as it did, or if it really wasn't. Um, that's one thing that's hard because it's, you know, I don't have like one specific thing that happened that I was like, I'm done. It was cumulative, cumulative um, over time. So again, I don't know if it's something that kind of contributed to that. I'm sure it did. But at the time, it didn't seem to be. Absolutely. We've talked a lot about cumulative trauma. Yeah. And that seemed to be, you know, we, we replaced this with this, this trauma with this trauma and this yep. trauma and this trauma. And it builds, 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 builds. And if you don't take that time. That until in, until you take that time to decompress, mm -hmm. where are you? Right, and and that's and, and that's kind of I guess that's where my line of question was questioning was going. It, from this point to this point to this point to this point, at what at what point did she decompress? Mm -hmm. She did. Well, she did. But, but she <laughs> did. I mean, I, think I know the answer. She did. Yeah. I, I, she, I think she'll she'll confirm that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not until I left. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now you left. I was gonna say yeah. So now, now, now you left. Now let's get to where you left. All right. So so now what? That was the question, right? Um, you know, 
what else do I do? Right. I don't know how to do anything else. This is what I love. You know, so and another thing too, like, how do I talk to someone who's not an EMS? Exactly. I don't know. Um, how do I do any other job? What other job is going to give me that rewarding feeling or, you know, you're in it a while, you don't get that adrenaline rush, but you still know when you have that like sick patient or that like very medically complicated patient or like wicked trauma, you still get like a little bit of a high from it. Um, and you feel like you're doing really good things and like, oh my gosh, I got to go be a paramedic today. It was so good. Um, what other jobs going to give me that? Uh, I had no idea. So I, again, happened to find luckily this clinic job that required a paramedic because it's a production plant. Um, they have to have two paramedics on full staff at all times. So I was lucky to find that and it was local. Um, and it was what I needed. I mean, we we would run on-site rescues, but not anything serious typically. And again, we're just managing them until EMS gets there and EMS is coming and taking them to the hospital. I'm also working under a nurse practitioner. It's a clinic. It's a controlled setting. Um, I, you know, I wasn't taking my work home with me. That's It wasn't building more stress on me. Right. Um, Overall, we are working occupational medicine was our primary thing that we were doing. Mm -hmm. That's very easy, low stress. And it was what I needed um, to be able to, I know I'm going to be home at 5.30. Okay, I can make dinner. I can get up. I don't have to be to work till nine. I can get up and go to the gym in the morning. Um, it gave me time to do therapy and go to these support group meetings um, like consistently. So. It's, I mean, that job was literally a lifesaver. So in the, as a provider, um, how, and this is going to be a really weird question, but we just, we, 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 we I'm huh? so nervous at the same time. No, 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 no. <laughs> how, but, well, because it's, it's this whole, the, the way that people present this question, but uh, how do you identify yourself as a paramedic? Are you one of the... I like that really complicated medical patient that makes me think, are you the trauma junkie that, that I, I get my high off of, you know, that, that serious trauma that, that I've really got to work hard to sustain till I get to the hospital as a, as a paramedic, which, which mental state do you get into as a provider? Uh, I'm definitely more the medical side. I love a good trauma for sure. Who doesn't? Right. Um, but their trauma, stop the bleeding, keep them alive, go yeah. to the hospital. Air goes in and out, blood goes round and round. Anything yeah. that disrupts, that's bad, right? <laughs> yeah, so just make sure that keeps happening and go to the hospital. <laughs> Typical um, flight medic right there. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I I like a good medical where you're like, man, like what is going on? And I'm trying to fix this and now I have to fix this and that. And I do like those medically challenging calls for sure. Okay. So when you transitioned from paramedic full-time in the field to or to in the the industrial yeah the industrial setting and in that time period you, you highlighted something that I've even struggled with and it's you know I want to get out of this field and I, I want to go do something else and the immediate first thing that always popped into my head is I don't know what else to do right like, I, I don't know what else there is. Like, this is all we know. Right. Like, I mean, since, I'm, since, I was eight, since I was 18 years old, it's been firing EMS. Uh, 14, uh, you know, 16, whatever. It's just, it, yeah. 
So how did you, or how were you able to train yourself of how to go out and have these conversations and be able to talk normally, and I'll use air quotes there, talk normally again. How did you, I mean, that, that's a lot of reprogramming internally wise. How did you start that process? I don't think I ever did. Um, you know, I'm there with another paramedic and she actually, she worked at Charleston County for 10 years. She actually blew both of her shoulders out on the job and will never be able to work the truck again. So I still got a little bit of that EMS conversation, not normal conversation. Our nurse practitioner was mortified by some of the things that we said sometimes. Um, and obviously, again, I moved down here. I don't know anybody. My friends are all in EMS. So I'm still having those conversations with people in the field, not necessarily the normal people. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I ever really did transition from that. And then again, I'm going to these peer support group meetings, all either active or retired fire police EMS. Um, you know, I'm still fairly surrounded by it without being immersed in it. So one of the things that you highlight, uh, and that I've heard you say a lot that I'm absolutely in love with is the peer support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you found this, uh, when, when you found this outlet and you started going, can you, can you talk us through your first day going to it? And, and, and I mean, what were you, what were you feeling? How did you, how did you react to your first session with everybody? Can you, can you kind of just yeah, take us was, down that what, path? What were your expectations when you went? So I don't know necessarily what I expected, truthfully. Um, it honestly is mostly, I think I said this earlier, like retired, um, a lot of retired firefighters, mostly. I was by far the youngest person there, which I did not expect. Um, but also not surprised because I know a lot of people my age that are not getting the help that they do need. Um, but I was terrified. I was shaking. Um, I didn't know what to say, how to say. I felt like a fake, honestly, like a phony, like these guys have 30, 40 years in and I'm 10 years in with only six months as a paramedic. Like who am I to come in here and be like, I have problems, um, compared to these guys. Uh, there was actually one of our clinicians was there that day and she brought in these rocks that have different patterns and stuff on them and handed them out to everybody. And they're supposed to be used for like grounding and different things like that. And I just looked at my rock and rubbed it the entire time. Um, Mr. Gillespie, who I mentioned earlier, he was there. He actually introduced me, brought me up to everybody. And he was just talking about my story. And I just started crying. Um, I mostly held back. But to hear somebody else talk about my story and me to just be like, holy shit, like, that's, that is, that's me. Like, wow. Um, I think that's the first time I kind of realized it. Like how serious my stuff was. Um, Cause I also, you know, I talk about being burnt out and realizing I needed to get out. 
again, I almost felt like a fake, like I haven't been doing that this long compared to other people. Like, why should I have these problems and be trying to get out? Um, that was something I struggled with too, honestly. So one of the things that you, that you said, and I think that there's, I, I, this is something just kind of popped into my head. There's a stigma in public safety that you have to be doing this for 20, 25, I, I was 30 years the same same thing. Be- thing. before you can stand up and go, whoa, whoa, I'm not okay over here. Right. And we, but, but there's, there's almost that stigma because, and I, and I think the way you identified it, Taylor was, was amazing. You felt like a fake walking into a peer support program because everybody surrounded you. What had you said 30, you know, 30, 40 plus years on the job. And here you are a young buck. Well, how old were you whenever you, uh, whenever you first started going? 30. So 30 years old, six months as a paramedic, 10 years, 10, 11 years total as an EMT. And you, you feel like a fake because you walk into this room of all these, uh, old heads. yeah, all these old men who are just like, you know, rah, 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 I, you know, I pulled seven bodies out of a fire and, and, and you know, they, they have all these awesome, cool ass stories and here you are struggling, but afraid at the same point in time to even make, to even say anything because of the fact You've only been doing this for six months. But I want to go one step further, and I also want to applaud that the fact that you have – no, not only that she (laughs) did it, because that is something in its own to be absolutely uh, proud of. But, you know, we have sat here and we have talked about this in the past, of that suck it up and deal with it mentality. But to know that there's a group of veteran firefighters out there that are getting together, almost like a secret society, right? Like, you know, it's those things we don't talk about. Yeah. But they're out there doing it, and nobody had a had an idea. And and I hope we didn't blow their cover by any means. But I would absolutely love the opportunity to go in front of this group, or just to go mingle with this group, and just listen and yeah. take it all in. But the, the 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 proudness of knowing that the, that generation has finally started to come around and talk about what they've seen over the years, and to welcome in a 30 year old provider that had a, has, you know, has seen six, six months, you know, yeah, because well, 10 years at that point, 10 because, years, but six I'm months. I'm sorry, but Taylor's call volume probably outdoes their call volume. And of course I understand that, you know, the Charleston nine was a, was a, was a whole Horrific. thing of its own, yeah. you know, and, and I've listened to, to, to Travis Howell's books and I absolutely uh, I love the guy. I would love to sit and talk to him and, and hear some of his stories, but to know that this is going on somewhere and that, They've embraced you and and was allowed you to tell your story. Yeah. Just is absolutely amazing to me. So, so go ahead. I'm go sorry. Ahead. I'm no, sorry. Go no. ahead. So whenever you walked into that room, did you ever feel as if they shunned you? No. Never. Not never. Um, I mean, by my second meeting, there were like I have to give them a hug when I get there and when I leave, and they reach out to me, you know. And, and exactly what you said, it's all of these people that grew up in that generation of suck it up. If you can't do the job, then go, you know, right. kind of thing. And they're Dylan all- does the same thing when he shows up here. He gives hugs. Yeah. Yeah. We love hugs. Wow. <laughs> wow. But um, they are. They grew up in that generation where it was suck it up or go. 
you know, right. if you can't handle the job, then go. Yeah. I don't um, know if you saw the comment that I put up a second ago, but uh, one yeah. of our one of our viewers said there isn't a salty level you need to achieve to be mentally in trouble. That's some old school BS right there. And, and I love and th this is why I love our viewers, because we're married matter of the fact and to the point. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, not only do we have the stigma that we're that we are actively fighting every single day in, in this profession, but it's it, it, it's not only the fact that. You know, you gotta you gotta be 20, 20 to thirty years in a job before you can be uh, screwed up. Right. So uh, you can have a story. Yeah, right. And and that, so that was one of the things that I was going to bring up or, or ask. So when you go to this first, the first time that you walked into this group, were you expected to talk, or were were you expected to tell your story, or were you allowed to listen, or did uh, Mr. Gillespie? Um, Ask you or have have a conversation yeah, did, did they with kind you? Of you out or, or, yeah, did, did, was it a good now, conversation? No, the most that was really expected, and it's still that way. Um, with anybody there or anyone new coming, they like to at least, hey, this is my name, this is what I do. That's it. If you want to tell more, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Um, a lot of people end up. So Gerald Mishu is the gentleman who runs the entire organization. He is the most selfless, incredible man I have ever met in my entire life. Um, retired Charleston firefighter. He started the group right after the Charleston Nine. But um, Wait, hold on just a second. Tell me his name again. Gerald Mishu. Oh, I can't spell that. <laughs> M-I-S-H-O-E. Or is it okay. Gerald Mishu? All right, gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you're not expected to tell anything more than that. Honestly, after the meeting ends, you have that parking lot therapy they make a joke about, um, or like you go just follow Gerald into his office and sit down if you want to talk more. Um, he has become a huge part of my life, middle of the night, phone calls, everything. He calls me at least once or twice a week just to check on me, um, but yeah, you're you're never pressured or expected to say anything more than you want to say or feel comfortable saying ever. So one of the things that you brought up there was the parking lot. Talk about that, because we because we commonly we commonly say the back bumper the or tailboard, the tailboard yeah, or something like that. the kitchen table. Yeah. yeah. Tell us tell us about the parking lot. So where the parking lot therapy came from was right after the Charleston nine. They tasked Gerald, they partnered him up with a clinician um, and they went around to the different fire stations in Charleston and surrounding areas and they'd hang out for an hour or two, whatever, and maybe some guys would talk, typically not, but then all of a sudden one would be following him out and, oh yeah, I'll go, I'll go walk him out. I'll go let him out the gate or whatever. And they don't come back for 45 minutes to an hour because they're out there finally talking. They didn't want to say anything in front of everybody. And then the next time a different guy would go let them out. And so it kind of became, you know, the parking lot therapy. So a little side session outside of, of the main group. I, I really like that. Yeah, and, too. and I'm sure that, you know, when the Charleston nine happened and, and I'm trying to think of the year, I'm wanting to say 2007. Huh? Oh, seven. I was 10 years old. Yeah. Wow. It's been that long. But yeah. I can I can remember watching the film, you know, and and knowing, and then they do a lot of know, listening to Travis Howe's, you know, book, 
which is absolutely absolutely wonderful. But you know, Charleston was known as this really super aggressive, go get it mentality. You know, it, we fight from the inside, not the out, and a lot of things changed on that day, and and that fire changed not only Charleston but most of South Carolina and parts of Georgia, and that that really put, I think, a new emphasis on on mental health, and and it um, opened a lot of eyes on the safety aspect, but also the aspect of caring for our own responders in a way that they never um, brought up before. So one of the things, Taylor, that, um, and I kind of want to switch gears here real quick, and I want to go to your Facebook post. Mm-hmm. You said this Are was, we able to bring that up by chance? Is there a way I, that we can I didn't screenshot that? it. Okay. Um, can you, can one of you all hop out and go to our page real quick? Yeah, I got it. Um, but I, but I want to, the reason that I want to touch on this is what was your, number one, what, what happened that day? The day that I made the post? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I mean, it was just my last, I had like put in my notice. It was just my last day. So you, uh, so you, you put in your notice that you, it's your last full-time day on, on the ambulance, correct? Mm-hmm. And you probably are running through a whole bunch of emotions in your head of what am I going to do next and all this. And you, and you sit down at, at the, or you pull up your phone or whatever it is that you did. And you start typing this out and I'm, I have it here. And for the people who haven't had the opportunity to read this, I, um, Taylor, with your permission, I'd like to read it if you're okay with that. Yeah, go ahead. So this was on October 20th, 2022. Uh, today is my last day working full time on an ambulance. After 10 years, I no longer have the desire to do this job. And that absolutely kills me. The job has changed me. I'm no longer the compassionate, caring, happy person I was when I started, not with, not without being medicated anyway. I'm no longer willing to sacrifice my mental and physical health for this job. And I want to pause right there. It absolutely kills me that I no longer have the desire to do this job and that you can't be compassionate, caring, or happy without medication and that you're no longer willing to sacrifice your mental or physical health for the, for the, for the job. What to, to be able to put that type of emotion into a Facebook post is nothing short of astounding. Now it continues on and we'll, we'll read the rest of it, but you in, in just those two sentences, three sentences that you posted, you, she you, captured you, you, you put, you put all of it on the table in well, one, two, four sentences. Four sentences. You put it all on the table. Well, she put things on the table that every one of us has has failed. Been there, yeah. You yeah. failed it, and, and but you also had to follow through. Of that's it. I need to step back, and you know, I'm. Did 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 that did did, did stepping back save your life? Yeah, and that, that, that's those are the things I wonder, you know. Not that alone. What's that? I mean, not stepping back. Stepping back alone didn't do it. Okay. Um, you know, right. I saw it, it was October. Okay. And I went to my first 
peer support group meeting in December, I was still not okay. A little bit better, but not great at all by any means. Um, it was a combination of stepping back medications and a lot of therapy. That's what so saved my life. We, we talk about some therapy and, um, you know, that, that comes up, up with almost every show, Absolutely. I would say. Yeah. Um, the therapist that you went to, did they have any experience with uh, first responders or were you like many others where your therapist sat with you on the first few sessions and couldn't believe what they were hearing? No. So that's the great thing with this peer support group. So they have, I think, I believe it's 36 clinicians associated with them. All of them have been put through specific trauma training. They've That's ridden cool. the ambulance. They've climbed ladders. They've gone to fires. They've ridden with police um, specifically to target first responders. We also have another group here in Charleston. It's called the First Responder Support Team. And they're, it's all clinicians. And they are, same things specifically trained for trauma, PTSD, they do EMDR, all kinds of stuff. Um, so we're incredibly fortunate that we have that there. You know, we talk about EAP. Well, call EAP, call EAP. And 20 minutes in, whoever you're talking to is bawling and losing their mind. EAP is trash when it comes to first responders. Yes, um, you're absolutely 100% so, so correct. Hold on a second right there. Did, did you try EAP? No, I never have. Um, but I've heard the horror stories from others and, <laughs> you know, like Dylan said, was your first two or three sessions, them just being in awe of the things that you're saying. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's from what I've heard EIP, that's how it turns out to be. Uh, right. You know, most are three to five like sessions <laughs> and it takes you longer than three to five sessions <laughs> to even explain to them what the hell you've been going through. And for them to pick their jaw up off the floor right. after we talked about some of the shit. Yeah. Dry so, their tears and compose themselves. Right. Yeah, by the yeah. end, of the, by the end of the first session, you're holding them. Like it's gonna be, a, yeah. it's gonna be okay. Giving them a tissue. Yeah. Great. So your next paragraph that you write, um, uh, after uh, you said, "I'm no longer willing to sacrifice my mental and physical health for this job," but that's what's expected of you doing this job. Your employer tells you they care and that your mental health is most important. That you need to take care of yourself first. But you better be willing to work 12 plus hours nonstop. Don't even think about sitting down for 10 minutes to eat. We have calls pending. No, you can't FaceTime your kids that you haven't got to see all week either. You're expected to work yourself into the ground, call after call after call for a little pay, poor conditions. By the time you get home, you're so mentally drained that you can't even give a little piece of yourself to your family and friends. You start to not be able to care about the things going on with the other people that are important to you. You can't relate to people who aren't in this field. You fear that you don't know if you can do another job or have a normal conversation with someone. This job changes you. For me, it's no longer worth it. So um, the, the not being able to talk to people, that right there, um, I, I think that everybody can relate to that fact because you gotta think everybody has that because not, not everybody understands the humor some call it the dark humor, some call it the first responder humor, but not everybody can understand that humor that we have. The the comments of, you know, when we walk in and we're like, hey, dipshit, what's up? 
you know, you're not doing that in a, in a, in a corporate office Monday through Friday, nine to five without uh, talking to HR. You can't, yeah, you, well, can. you, you can. just get in trouble. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, for us, that's, that's right. That's normal. So <laughs> our normal conversations usually are comprised with other first responders, but the interesting part is, is we see this commonality of the employer side. So dive into that if we can, of how was your employer when, you know, you started having trouble mentally or you decided it was time to take a step back or even as you put your notice in, you know, how did they react to that or how did they treat you whenever that, that came to, to fruition that it's time for me to step back? So, <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble. Um, not well, we'll say that. Um, you know, we, we had a chief who I respected when I grew up, I was going to be her. I wanted her job. Um, I respected her. I could go to her about anything. I had talked to her on a few different occasions about stuff going on. I trusted her to no end. Um, you know, I, it was on me. I didn't reach out to anyone when I got to that point. I didn't ask about resources. I just, again, it goes back to me handling everything on my own, um, not wanting to go to other people or rely on somebody else to help me. Um, so I didn't go to them about my issues. I made this post. This, I guess, it was the first time that they were like, oh, something's wrong with Taylor. Um, I was berated in the back of the ambulance for probably 45 minutes to an hour about my post by that chief um, in front of my partner who was jaw on the floor, couldn't believe what was happening. Uh, I was accused of attacking her personally and the company. None of that was directed at Charleston County EMS. Um, you know, did the high call volume, low staff play a part in it? Absolutely. That wasn't unique, still is not unique to Charleston County. That is an issue everywhere. Um, I ended up going part-time after a few months. I missed my overtime. I tried to go back full-time. Even with their 17 open positions, I was told no. Um, before I started at the fire department, I also applied back there full-time. I was again rejected. Um, was not taken well by them, to say the least. Uh, from what I'm told, I am a liability for them to ever hire back. Liability, a liability. Let's talk about that. I, I I find that to be an interesting way to put that. So here you are, you're out there, you know, running the calls. Everybody's short staff. We're post COVID or, or middle of COVID, you know, where everybody has problems. You know, our response times are much higher, our staffing's much lower, and they took your burnout. And basically, and, and again, I don't know the agency, I don't know anybody there, but it starts to feel like we hear the same story of the burnout was weaponized, and I hate to use that word, but the burnout is weaponized against mm -hmm. the employee, right? So, so we do. Administrations fail our employees on a daily basis. We are seeing it across the board with every person we talk to that, that, our administrators, they look at us as a number, 
and and as a liability and a, and as an insurance policy, they don't look at us as a human being that's out there putting our, to, for lack of a better term, putting our asses out there in this environment where you know assaults against fire EMS and police are, are up five hundred percent. You know yeah, you can't yeah you know you can't get on an ambulance without a, a bulletproof vest anymore. You can't get on a fire truck without a, 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 a damn gun in the console. So, you know, but yet we we as employees are the liability. Are the liability, you know, and, and our employers are the victims of our outbursts and our unwillingness to go that extra mile and to put our own life and safety on the line and our own mental health on the line. So it's it really sucks. So my, I guess my question was, you, you're you're back on the truck. Yes. Okay. D- different organization. Yes. Okay. I didn't realize that. I thought it was the same. Oh, so you read that bio, huh? No, I'm pretty sure the- I'm 86 <laughs> from from Charleston County. <laughs> I got you. So yeah, uh, the next paragraph. I used to think, and this this is the one that struck me the probably the well other than the first four sentences this is the one that i started thinking about my past in ems i used to think ems was one of the coolest most unique jobs out there you're invited into someone's home on their worst day you get to meet new people constantly and hear their stories you get to spend the day with one of your friends driving around jamming to music you're the calm in someone else's storm you get to look into someone's eyes and promise them you're not going. You're going to do everything you can to keep them or their loved one alive, and then you do it. You go into autopilot and do your job—an important job, a job not everyone can do. People have respect for you and thank you for being there for them. So, everybody that starts an EMS starts on the "I have." the uh i have the coolest job on the face of the earth right i get to be in a 250 300 000 ambulance I'm sure the prices have went up uh, now but uh, i get to be in that ambulance i get to run down the road i get to look super cool doing it i get to go in these people's houses i get to be the. i'm gonna stop you right there free coffee i'm sorry but it's hard to be cool in a transit i'm just, oh, I'm whatever. just, I'm just <laughs> yeah but you get but you, i mean you get to you get to do all this stuff. You get to, you know, intubate, defibrillate, start IVs, hang fluids, you know, give meds and do all this stuff. And for the first six months to a year of my job, two years, three years, yeah, I, I can remember like that was like that to me, starting from an EMT, going to a paramedic, uh, I think I had like a uh, four year gap, but like I can remember kind of the rejuvenation that I felt when I got my paramedic. Now, going through paramedic class, I was I was right there with you because I was working the 2448 schedule. I was I was working 24 and immediately going to class and then my off day I was doing clinicals and then right back into right. work. Right. And you know, the the mentally draining that that took on me was it just absolutely exhausting. But that, that, that post or that paragraph right there, that encapsulates so much emotion because that's how we feel. You know, you get, you get to spend day after day with this person who is, 
it turns into one of your best friends. Sure. At least you hope it does. Or if not, that's one hell of a long way. <laughs> yeah. You get to, you know, you get to learn each other's, uh, you know, you, you, if you get the, the right partner, you don't even have to talk to one another when you're working that shit show yeah. of a call. Yeah. Like when, when I flew, I had the best partner in the world. Like we could do an entire, an entire mission, never have to talk to each other, know exactly, you know, take one look at the patient, know exactly what we want to do. But, you know, th those don't always happen. You do have those ones that you're just like, okay, I want to put my earbuds in and, you know, be off of my own little world. So that's a very important thing. But the, the one thing that, that, that I get out of that sentence as well is it still is one of the coolest jobs in, in my opinion. And it's, and it should be one of the most respected jobs, but from the time that you were a EMT in rural Wisconsin, then you go to Seattle to AMR and then to Charleston County and then to where you are now. Has the call volume for you in, in your opinion, change to where you're not using your paramedic skills as often as you used to, or that sometimes it's more of a, you know, are we at a higher call volume with lower acuity? How, how do you feel about the overall call volume? Because we hear that a lot about the burnout. So I think Charleston County was definitely higher call volume, lower acuity. Um, you might get that really sick patient or that good trauma, maybe once three weeks to a month, maybe. Um, now where I'm at, we just cover a city. So it is a smaller coverage area. Um, not a super high call volume, decent. Um, but thus far I have had more higher acuity patients in the, what, three weeks I've been on the truck there. Um, so yeah, I definitely in my time in EMS, I've seen that change of higher call volume, lower acuity, that abuse of 911, the emergency rooms. Um, I talk about it in my post as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely have seen that change. So do you start to feel that swing that we're getting back to using the 911 services, at least in your area, for what their purpose is? Or are we still abusing the system some? How, how do you feel we're headed? I think it's still being abused overall. Um, I think I'm like a big proponent for community paramedicine. I would love that job, honestly. Um, there's just, especially around, you know, Charleston itself is obviously a fairly rich area, but the outside area is very poverty, uneducated, um, really no resources to help them. And that is a, where the big portion of the abuse comes from and the lower, the lower income communities, um, is where you see that abuse because they don't have another option. You know, I need meds. Well, I can't afford it. I can't get to the doctor. I can't get to the pharmacy. I'm going to go to the emergency room. Are they starting to do any community paramedicine in your area? Nope. Okay. Just curious. I know so the department that I'm at now, um, it's, kind of a little bit of a backstory, but the EMS side of the fire department is very new within the last couple of years, okay. um, the fire department that I'm at. So that is something eventually they, that is a goal that they want to get to is having a community paramedicine program. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not there yet. Okay. So you go on in your next paragraph to say 
you know, about what EMS isn't, or they're saying that's not what EMS is now. To use as a taxi, you're picking up the the cold feet, the, the stub toe, the knee pain times three months. Uh, I won't say the next one that you put in there. Um, if you if you want to if you want to read it, if you, you want to read it, it's in there. But uh, that was a call. You, That's the only reason I threw that in there. <laughs> but you, that was a call I wanted. You know, you you start to really give the the bigger, broader picture of what we're seeing now. And then you transition very quickly into basically, you know, I'm getting out because it's going to save my life. I'm getting out because it's the right thing to do. And damn it, you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And, and you're very, the very end of it, um, you said, um, I'm lucky to be getting out an extremely difficult decision, but one that will literally save me. And you say, good luck, y'all stay safe, take care of yourselves first for real. And, you know, that, that was the other one that really hit me is because, you know, we we're in a profession that we care. We care for our patients, uh, or at least we're supposed to, we care for our providers. We care for our coworkers. We care. We we care, and you even you exemplify that in, in one of your in one of your paragraphs. You know, you put in there that that we care, and you know you weren't cared for. No, you you were you were neglected in a sense, uh, and you know the the fact that neglected and and made to feel like. It was her fault. It was her fault. Right. Yeah. How dare that, her? Yeah. How dare her? She's the liability. <clears throat> what is actually going on behind the scenes? How dare you admit that we don't have this perfect system where everything's sunshine and rainbows? Right. Yeah. That's that's and, and that is so common. And I think that the bigger the agency, the more complex that problem is. Mm -hmm. You know. If you have a small agency, 10, 20, 30 employees, you can contain that because, you know, your your administration is able to have them one on one. Yeah. But you get into the 70, 80, 150, so on and so forth. We're allowing we're allowing our tailors to, to slip through the through the yeah. cracks. But when we and go but, unnoticed. But when we slip instead of taking a step back, and I think that this is where everybody can learn something from it doesn't matter where you work it doesn't matter what doesn't matter your position it what matters the most right there is when somebody does finally slip and reaches their breaking point much like taylor did don't attack the person attack the problem yeah the yeah. problem the problem is is that we're overworked, underpaid, and, and that's and everywhere. Just, and just like what Taylor said, this is not a Charleston County EMS no, problem. No, this is not, not a, a not a insert X agency here. This is a worldwide, oh, yeah. nationwide yeah. problem that is everywhere. Yeah. And you know, for I, 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 I there was a a Facebook post about Charleston County. Uh, I, I didn't know that's where you worked prior to this, but. You know, there was a Facebook post by them uh, uh, that was advertising for a position, mm -hmm. and I clicked on it, and I was reading. Um, I clicked on their website. It I was sounds exciting there. there. It yeah, does. They, they like it sounds sound like, like it's really super cool, right? But guess what, folks? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. That's right. And and I think that 
you know, I, I, I think that that's where a lot of EMS providers, especially, they get in a rut and then they find that agency. And I, and, and I don't know if that's what happened at, at whenever you were in Seattle, but, you know, you said Seattle, King County, and I immediately went to King County Medic One. And I was like, holy shit, you work for King County Medic One. <laughs> like, you know, that's like, but, you know, then you start, you start hearing these high name places, Austin Travis County EMS, mm-hmm. uh, shirts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the, the, all these high named areas. And Charleston County EMS is one of the areas that I would consider a high agency oh, yeah. profile yeah, name. High profile. Profile. And and I'm not slamming. If there's anybody on here from Charleston County EMS, I'm yeah, not slamming yeah, you at all. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think. I, but I think that you have identified what we've been identifying for months, years now, a year now. But it's the fact of we're we're quick to pull the trigger at the person, mm-hmm. but we're not quick to pull the trigger about what the underlying Which issue problem. is. Right. My I guess my question would be. And, and I know that we're way beyond our Yeah, hour. we're 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 at an hour oh, fifteen know. already, and, and I still got to get into we still got to get into her going back. But ask, yeah, but, that's so, something I really want to talk about. So, well, here here's my question with with the group sessions: is that set up by the union? Is it set up by? Is it union? Is it set up by the organization, or is it set up by? just peers looking out for peers. So it, it's set up by the organization, but you know, it's set up by Gerald who runs the organization, who is also a peer looking out for peers. Okay. Um, okay. So, so it's kind of like, so like what we're doing. So it's yeah. got like yeah. a scar. Yeah. 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 I love it. I mean, it's, it's a nonprofit organization. The, the people, the peers that are coming there are, the ones that are working the events and planning okay. the fundraisers and all this stuff. I and then, like so I said, very there similar is to what we're trying to do. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right. So dive into going back. So, I so, you're, so you're in this industrial position as a medic and that the infamous, I love the infamous statement that we spoke about earlier. You got the itch. You're ready to go back. Yep. All yeah. Right, so I, I was sick of being a desk paramedic. So what did um, you do? Well, like I said, I applied back to Charleston County initially. Um, As much as, as bad of things as I went through there, it wasn't the agency. Um, I love Charleston County. There's so many things I loved about working there. Um, I was comfortable there. I know the protocols. I know the area. Easy, easy to go back and transition back into. Well, they didn't take me back. so I, this, I work at city of Goose Creek fire department. Now they, like I said, just a couple of years ago, started a paramedic specialist position. You are part of the fire department. You get all the nice firefighter perks, but you don't have to have any fire certs. They do require some outside fire suppression stuff for us to be part of the poor's retirement and that kind of stuff. But, um, very unique for this area. There are isn't really any other departments around here that have that, that you can go be a paramedic without being a firefighter. Um, so I apply, I apply there, get an interview, do my, my physical agility test, that kind of stuff. Next step is a psychiatric evaluation. And I was terrified. Um, I didn't know, I had no idea what to expect. They, it was, you know, 
kind of the typical agree, disagree. They ask you the same questions over and over. Um, my questionnaires I had to do were well over a thousand questions. Um, but then afterwards I had to meet, meet with a psychologist. Um, so I, again, was terrified. How honest do I be? Should I tell her the truth? I don't want to lie. Obviously, um, they can pull my records if they want to. I have to give them the ability to do that. So I went in and I was honest with her, completely honest. Um, and basically all they're giving the department is a recommendation for hire or not to based on my mental health. Um, so I was very honest with her. You know, one of the questions she asked is obviously about suicidal ideations and attempts and how recent those have been. Um, about three, four months ago, I went through something very, very difficult for me personally. Um, and I struggled. Luckily, I had those resources and I utilized them. But to say that I didn't kind of get right back to that point of hating my life and not wanting to live anymore would be a lie. Um, and I was honest with her. Yeah, you know, within the last couple of months, I have had those suicidal thoughts um, and plans. And I had no idea what to expect. And I obviously don't know whether she recommends for hire or not. So when they called me to offer me the position, uh, the chief said, so I saw your psyche eval. And I said, mm-hmm. He said, and I saw your Facebook post. And I said, mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know what to expect. And he, he said, are you okay? <laughs> I said, you know, we talked about it or whatever. And he's like, you know, I just need to make sure that you are doing what you need to do for yourself. And that's something that has sat with me with this department. They don't bring people in to bring them in to fill seats. They bring you there to be there long-term and want you to retire and be able to still enjoy your life, both mentally and physically. It's incredibly important to that department. Um, and that's one reason why I really wanted to go there. And Mr. Gillespie is actually going to be my battalion chief starting on December 11th, which is going to be awesome. Um, but when he, when the chief called all of my references, the very first thing he asked them about was Facebook post. And I was terrified. I had no idea what they were going to do with that information, but luckily they've embraced it. <laughs> So I, I, I think that not only, and, and kudos to you, in, in all honesty, to, to go through what you've done or to, to go through what you've went through to be resilient enough to take a step back when you identified it and then to be able to, to return. That's, uh, those are huge steps. They truly are. So kudos to you. Um, and I, one of the, and we, we talked about this uh, uh, before the show, how many shares did that Facebook post get? It was like 10 or 11,000. Wow. Did you ever expect that was going to happen? No. What was your reaction about that? I should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, this is the second podcast I've done. I ended up doing a documentary as well. Um, and like being part of a documentary and I never expected any of that. That post initially was set to private and a couple of my friends that were EMS were like, Oh, can you make it shareable? And like, I thought maybe like two, three of my friends would share it. 
And I honestly, like two, three days, I couldn't even pick my phone up from all the messages I was getting. Um, and then, you know, the year came around in October this year. Um, and that's when Dylan reached out to me where the post was kind of re resurfacing. And again, for a couple of days, it was like message after message after message. And I apologize to the people I didn't respond to. I promise I tried, but <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we were glad you responded to us. Yeah, we absolutely. were absolutely uh, excited to have you come on and, and, and tell your story with us. Like that. Absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed yeah. every, every ounce of this. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, um, that I think is, is, is probably the, the thing that makes me smile the most is, uh, you know, to to see, to be able, number one, to be able to talk to you for the, the little bit that we have before the show, but to see how you are now is like you've smiled a lot during this episode. You've been very engaging, and 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 we asked you before, we're like, hey, is there anything that's off the table? And you're like, hell no. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, right. I mean, that's something we can, you yeah. know, we can get down with that. Yeah, absolutely. But you, I, I think that, I think that you have definitely set the stage for what EMS is supposed to be. I think that you've, that you have probably started a, a, you have probably started something that you will never fully understand throughout the nation. The amount of people that you were able to reach and you know, uh, interact with or, or, or that shared your post or, or read your post, you know, you resonated with a lot of people. With oh, so that. You, you, you spoke for thousands of responders, uh, when you, when you wrote that, 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 that post was a, that, that was a, um, a keynote speaker, <laughs> right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, a presentation and, I, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking with us and sharing your story with us. I cannot thank you enough for, um, uh, what or for sharing not only your struggles, your successes and, and everything else, but for being as vulnerable as what you've been. So, uh, on behalf of everybody, thank you very much for, for taking the time to join us and thank you for, um, every, everything that you are doing and continue to do for the first responder community. Of course. And thank you guys. I mean, even what you're doing, just, just talking about it, that's, that's the one way to bring awareness and end the stigma and get more people to be comfortable talking about it. Right. Um, and I, I think, I think one of the biggest messages that I would send, send off, uh, for, for me would be as awesome as Mr. Gillespie is for sharing your story. Don't, don't let people share your story. I, you yeah. need to share. Yeah, your, you, you, you need to your tell story. your story. Yeah, you own yeah. your story, and, and no one can tell it like you can tell it. Yeah. And you can make a huge difference in so many people's lives. And and I think what Patrick said was was so true, that that this is absolutely something uh, worldwide and, and and national. That the more people that you can help by sharing your story, and uh, your story is full circle, uh, yeah. of of every aspect of what everybody feels and, and by you sharing it and you telling it. And you didn't uh, give up. Yeah. You didn't, yeah. you didn't stop. You didn't give up. And, and, and sister, that's something to be proud of right there. Yeah. yeah. That right yeah. there is your, you know, that, that right there is going to, that, that proves your resiliency. That proves your courage. That proves so much about your character, your integrity. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm very proud of you for that personally. I, I, yeah. I mean, just to, to see your obstacles and your overcoming of those obstacles, 
kudos to your girl. So I'd Thank love you. to, I'd love for us to keep in touch and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and, and to follow some progress. And then of course, you know, I want to I, talk to Steve. I was going to say after I did the podcast last fall, I recommended it to the, um, to them to reach out to him. And he ended up doing the podcast too with him. So, well, not only do I want to do it, I'd like, I'd like to come down there and do it. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Our uh, our peer support group meetings are the second Thursday of every month. If you ever want to make the twelve hour drive down, there's free food. Hey, we got friends in free Bartle. food. There's free food. <laughs> yes, we're in. Definitely, let's keep yeah. on this because I, it's I pretty would, little Caesar's I would love pizza. To talk to, to Gerald to Steve. <laughs> it usually is little Caesar's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mont Robbins. Sometimes we play. That's great too. If, if if you would, uh, and, and after the show is over, I'll, uh, I mean, I know that you have our email address and stuff like that. I'll, I'll share my number with you, but I would love for you to reach out to Mr. Gillespie and so yeah. that we can get in touch with them and, and yeah. that we well, can have a talk. Yeah. Yeah. We can have both well. of them on. Um, I, I, one of mine and Dylan's, uh, one of my best friends, Dylan's best friends just commented and, and I want to share this with you. This is a great ender actually. My wish is someone listening to your story will see that there is a way back. Reach out for the help they need. It doesn't have to be the end of their career. I myself am always here to listen. You are for sure an inspiration. Thank you for spending time with us all. God bless. Oh. And that that came from a viewer uh, who is a, a, yeah. one of my true best friends. I, I love her to death. I know that Dylan and her are very, very uh, good friends as well. Probably one of Dylan's best friends as well. And Dylan's former partner, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, years and um, years and years ago. Showing um, our age. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Taylor, thank you uh, from, from the deepest depths of my heart. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your story. And uh, thank you for uh, coming on here and joining us. And we will be in touch. And uh, if you ever need anything... Uh, your uh, your your scars family, your resilient responder family, we're always here for you. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, make Taylor feel welcomed uh, on the show. And uh, as we said at the very beginning of the show, remember the true reason for tomorrow. Take the time if you have the ability. Spend with your friends. Spend with your family. Whoever it may be. If you're working. Remember, you know, spend that time, uh, form the com- the camaraderie that we so talk about so much within the public service family. You know, uh, uh, be true to your brothers and sisters. Uh, enjoy your company tomorrow. Enjoy your time and be thankful. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for where, where things are going. And if you are struggling, if there is, if you're having a Taylor moment, please, God, reach out. Taylor is readily available on Facebook. Uh, and, and I'm sure that Taylor, I don't, I, well, I don't want to speak for you. Can I, can I give out your, your name? Yeah. Taylor Wilkinson. She, uh, she's very much so easily, uh, easily to find on Facebook. Uh, our email address is scarsfrservices at gmail.com. Um, reach out. We would, we would love to, uh, we, we would love to walk with you on your journey. And, uh, and I'm sure Taylor would too. Uh, be able to walk with you on your journey if you're struggling, uh, and if you if if you need the 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 shoulder to lean on or the the ear to listen. There's a lot of people that are in this chat. There's a lot of people sitting at this table. There's somebody 12 hours away virtually with us right now that I don't think would ever turn anybody away. That's right. So 
Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, we will be back with you next Sunday, and that will start our new rotation next Sunday, and then we'll do every two weeks from there. Louie um, called you fat, by the way. I think that's funny. Wow. He, did, he didn't use that word. You, he didn't you, use that word, you but made I that interpreted it. Yeah, that's what you said. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Happy Thanksgiving, guys, and we'll see you next week. Taylor, thank you so much, and thank happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us for another empowering episode of The Resilient Responder, brought to you by First Responder Coaching. If you found strength in our stories, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Connect with us on Facebook at Scars, Inc., and catch exclusive content on our YouTube channel at Scars FR Services. Remember, your resilience is a beacon of hope. Keep rising, stay resilient, and until next time, take care of yourself and each other.